Mac Power Users, Episode 260, Small Business and Nonprofit Workflows with Gene McDonald. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, I am so excited about this episode. It's been one that's been on our radar for a while. Uh, Gene McDonald has been a longtime friend. And Gene, you've been on our list to do this specific show forever. And I am so glad to welcome you to Mac Power Users. Thanks, Katie and David. Thanks for having me. It's, it's so much fun to be back on this show. Yeah, I know we've we've talked to you before about uh, App Camp for Girls is is your current endeavor, uh, and we wanted to have you on right now because you know as this show airs, you're in the middle of your Indiegogo fundraising campaign. Uh, App Camp 3.0 is is what you're calling it, and you know we've been very vocal. We've reached out to our our Mac Power users audience, and and I do want to stress this show is not going to be solely about App Camp. Um, but I, I know that our audience has a very vested interest in App Camp for Girls and are big supporters of of what you do. And we thought, who better to come in and talk to us about really building a small business and a nonprofit from the ground up than someone who's actually done it very successfully? And someone who's kind of a nerd and did it with her computer and has got some great software ideas, too. So <laughs> you're perfect for this, Gene. But, you know, b- before we get into that, why don't we just take a minute to update? Last week at the beginning of the show, we we announced that we, uh, Katie and I were uh, helping fund App Camp for Girl- Girls, and we wanted the listeners to step up. So, Katie, did the listeners step up? Oh, boy, did our listeners step up in a big way. And, you know, it's, it's not surprising at all because our we have the best audience in the world. But we knew that already, right? Yeah. In fact, I, I really feel, and I know this is... Um, probably too much, but laying it on thick, Dave, as I'm told, but the, I really feel like a special relationship between our show and app camp for girls, because when Jean first started with app camp for girls, she came on and talked about it. And we had multiple listeners, not only give money, but give their time. I mean, I know, I know that one of your lawyers is a listener. I know that one of the um, original kind of nonprofit sponsors was a listener. And it's just really great to know that, you know, we have so many awesome people out there that will help. And you guys did it again. When we started last week's show, we said our goal is to raise enough money to sponsor our own um, Mac Power Users team at App Camp for Girls. And guess what? You we want got to it. Yeah, yeah, we, we, got, we, it. we got it. And then we, we got it. A- a little more on top of that as well. Um, yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah. So we, we told Gene before the show, but we'll announce to everybody that as of the date of this show, Mac Power users listeners have raised a total of $4,170 for App Camp for Girls. And that's just the receipts that you all have sent us. So there may be more out there. And and that those donations come from over 40 individual Mac Power users contributors. So thank you, everyone. And Katie and I have put into a portion of that as well. And um, we are really hoping now we have, I guess, what you call it, your stretch goal? We got a stretch goal for the Mac Power Users listeners. <laughs> um, we would like to, by the time this thing closes out, this Indiegogo, and we're going to put the link right in the show notes, we would love to know that there were 100 Mac Power Users listeners that contributed. And we don't care if it's $5. It, that's okay, you know, but, you know, Gene's out there trying to get big Fun. corporations to help sponsor. And and when they see lots of people contributing, it really helps her out. 
And frankly, it's a great way to, to, to just to make your day to give to this cause. Yeah. And Jean, you haven't shared it with us, but but you have seemed to indicate that you have some kind of devious master plan. Uh, <laughs> if, if we can reach that stretch goal. Oh, right. Uh, well, I wouldn't call it devious. I'd say a special. Uh, we, we'll do some kind of special celebration of uh, if, if Mac Power users, uh, listeners, a hundred of them are contributors by the end of the campaign, we will do something special to recognize and celebrate that. And that's all I'm going to say right now. Awesome. I, I, lo- I love that, you know, the Sparks family is like fully invested in this, that, you know, that app that, that they released that was number one, which was awesome. You know, Gene. Yes. I love the fact when it was on number one, I was thinking, Gene worked on that app on my kitchen table. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys were testers. You, yeah. <laughs> when I was down there in March and I got everybody to take like all the quizzes. So uh, that's right. That and, the, was... and my wife is hoping that um, we're, it's all, you know, we're in early stages, but we're working on seeing if we can't have an app camp down in Southern California. So, so we're going to go up there and I'm going to be in Portland when uh, the girls, uh, the Mac Power Users team is in effect. I get to go visit them. So everybody help out this cause. It's just really great. But um, like I said, we're not going to turn it into an hour and a half love fest. We are going to talk about geeky <laughs> stuff. And um, I guess that's probably where we should start. All right. So, Gene, you you are a geek. I mean, I first came to know you, I think it was at Macworld, one of the Macworld's Hmm. Seven, 2007 maybe is is when we first met in in person um back then you were you were working for smile um but i, I really got started to get to know you and you've got a long geeky background i you know i guess i i do i mean i worked with smile for almost 10 years um and that really got started at macworld in 2004 where um Greg Scown and Philip Gower, the, the founders of Smile, uh, they're friends of mine, and they said, "Would you come down and work at our booth?" Um, and so, you know, I didn't. I was a Mac user, but I wasn't a Mac Power user by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I just fell in love with MacWorld. Like I, I demoed software all day for people: Disk Label and PDF Pen and Page Sender. Um, that was, uh, and the people were so cool. Like I just was, was really inspired by how enthusiastic everybody was. And it gave me a different attitude about what it meant to be a geek, honestly, because I, it was not a pocket protector, you know, audience. It was definitely like all sorts of creative people and families and grandmas and stuff like that. So I actually, um, if I, if Twitter had existed back then, I, I would have tweeted, Hey, this is pretty cool. I might want to work in this industry. But what I did, I actually said that to an actual person, um, after Macworld was over and then so started doing more stuff for Philip and Greg. And eventually they, um, brought me on full time and, um, made me a partner. So, uh, that, so my geek ramping up went very quickly after that. <laughs> Yeah. But you had worked, was it in, in graphic or, or web design before then? Because I know you, you had a, you had a computer background even before you started working with smile. Yes, that's true. But I was pretty focused on web design and graphic design. Um, and, uh, I, I had friends who would install Mac OS updates for me. Like (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to go, you know, up 
you know, from one um, OS to the next by myself. Um, um, So I I was, um, I got into web design in the 90s, uh, mid 90s, because I was working at a company, my sister had started uh, making software for kids to do arts and crafts projects. And I was the internet marketing person. And that was back when we were like, we're not really sure what internet marketing is, but it involves having a website, which an outside firm built for us. But I couldn't update the website with like out either paying these outside, you know, designers hundreds of dollars for what I now know should have cost like $25. <laughs> and, uh, I, um, the, the, the programmers at our company said, you can learn how to do this. Um, and they told me to buy a, a program called Claris homepage. And I worked with that for a bit. And then I, then I went and took an actual, uh, HTML and JavaScript class. And that's where I started really becoming geeky is learning, um, HTML and, and JavaScript and building. I eventually became a freelance web designer and an instructor. So that was pretty cool. I taught web design for several years and even got to teach it um, in uh, Ghana, in West Africa and in Armenia um, through various programs that brought, you know, tech, tech, bringing tech skills, you know, to other countries. So, you know, listening to you, I had the kind of smile thinking about those days where the, the internet was a new thing. Mm hmm. And, and we really didn't know how it was we were going to be making web pages and there were like third party apps to make them, you know, like the Claris Mm -hmm. suite. And then there was the HTML school. It, you know, it's really funny to think about how far we've come since then. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, at the time, um, even in the nineties, like as I was working in, um, first Claris homepage, then I, I was learning. Um, I was learning HTML. That was important. I think it's still important, but we also, there was Adobe had page mill, which was kind of the best of the, of the lot at the time. And, but that was still pretty complicated and, and not necessarily always successful. And I remember saying to my entrepreneurial sister, I said, whoever invents the thing that is like the equivalent of Microsoft word for, for, websites is going to be really successful because paper will be going away and websites are where it's at. And the, the secretary in your office or whatever, ad, administrative assistant, or nobody's going to want to have outsiders building these all the time and going through that process. They're going to want to be able to do it themselves. Um, in fact, I taught a like one day course called the Accidental Web Designer which is like for those people whose bosses say, Hey, can't you make some web pages for me? So anyway, we did not capitalize on that idea. Of course, it was not really a startup, like small startup kind of an idea. <laughs> it was required a big company and then blogging came in and WordPress, et cetera. And now, you know, it definitely um, it is at a point where anybody can put something up on the web. Um, how good it is, is another question, but <laughs> I have to wonder if that same curve is is starting in place with app development because, you know, the app development languages are getting easier. You know, Swift is a lot easier than Xcode. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously, um, someone can't just, you know, take a one day course and write an app at this point, but where will we be with that, you know, in five or 10 years from now? I mean, is it going to become kind of modular and component or is it going to be like Squarespace where honestly just about anybody can build an app? Well, isn't um, it, um, isn't it Glide that is, is yeah. starting to, <laughs> is, is kind of in, for lack of a better word, the, the Squarespace or the WordPress of, of app development. I know the, the upcoming Relay yes. app is going to be, be built on Glide. Yes. Glide is pretty amazing. Um, I met the Glide developer, Chris Harrison, um, at the UL conference uh, in 2014. And the UL, um, that's a, uh, a conference for those who don't know it's a, it's um in Ireland um not in Dublin anymore but outside of Dublin and it's for developers but it's not necessarily a techie conference and I spent a day there teaching girls how to make apps uh which was super fun um but Chris had um done the Ool conference app based on Glide using Glide and that was the first time where I saw it in in action and it's quite impressive but i do think that any of these things just like with squarespace i mean you can do some nice decent looking things in squarespace but if you're really not tech oriented you're going to still be like it's kind of like bowling with the bumpers up uh where you you only be able to do so much and it probably won't do exactly what you want it to do. And so I think that's good. You know, people I think are learning to just like live with the templates in the world, not just Squarespace, but in the world in general, that custom everything is very expensive and tiresome and buggy. But um, I think Glide, I haven't played with it myself. I would like to, I think Glide has is, is got the potential to be very amazing for a certain class of apps. And there are other tools out there. I mean, I certainly see the ads for them of like, you know, build build a mobile app in one day. And it's probably something like, you know, the Squarespace idea of, of pick this template, put in your content, and then, you know, we'll, we'll generate a um, an app that you can submit to the app store. But I haven't played with any of those because I assume that, you know, the output won't be anything that's of interest to me. Yeah. Um, well, well, in my thought, the, um, you know, like the, the apps like OmniFocus or the smile apps, the stuff that's like productivity apps that are very fiddly, that that's going to take a real developer yeah. for a long time. But there's a lot of apps out there that are really content sharing apps mm-hmm. and people, a lot of people are moving away from the web. And they are going to apps. They want their companies on apps. And I, I do think that Glide is an example of tools that are going to emerge to make this something normal humans can do mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of geekiness uh, involved. But, you know, the thing about Eugene that I always felt like was um, I, I've always felt like that your true genius was as a, a marketer for a small company. And mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, you were we all were there kind of in the mid 2000s and the, over the last 10 years where really kind of internet marketing has has grown up in a lot of ways and i i'm i don't know about katie but speaking for myself i get lots of um very i don't know if i get in trouble if i use the word skeevy is that a bad word but <laughs> i don't know what it means but i think i, I, know, know. I understand it's you. <laughs> like uh, 
I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. It's one of those things where I get a lot of like people like trying to get me to write about something they've made or, you know, otherwise, you know, use the platform of Mac power users or Mac Sparky to do something. Uh, And and so many of them are just so bad at it where Gene was always, you know, you just had the right touch. (laughs) And I, I don't mean that, you know, the way it probably sounds, but I mean, it just like you were very helpful to people in the community uh, you gave as much as you asked. And um, and also the way you use social media, I thought, was very clever. And um, I'm sure a lot of people out there would like to hear about that. Sure. So we should probably talk about that as we get through the show as well. But it, you have an interesting course of your life. And then it led to this kind of this hallelujah moment that you had at WWDC. And we've talked about this on the show once before. But for the listeners that didn't hear that episode, let's just briefly talk about how you became... Uh, you know, the app camp for girls founder. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was kind of the opposite of a hallelujah moment. It was like, oh, my God, is this really uh, this really is is male dominated. I knew it intellectually, but not once you're sitting in a room with that many men and hardly any women. It, it's just it, you can't avoid it. And that was at WWDC in 2011. Um, and I, you know, just sort of it dawned on me as I was sitting waiting for a presentation to start that if I looked around in any direction, I couldn't see another woman in a room of like a thousand people. So uh, I, I, I just, you know, it was one of those things you can't unsee it once you, you see it. And um, I thought it doesn't. It doesn't make sense because I know there were a lot of uh, theories about why girls aren't interested in technology or sciences or math or women don't like that or God, you know, I think we pretty much put to rest the idea that women aren't good enough to do it. But uh, I thought it wouldn't take much to double the number of women in this room. And maybe one way to do that is to get more girls exposed to this so that they know that it's something that they can do and that they would enjoy doing because, um, you know, I think that there is a popular notion, uh, especially among younger people, you know, middle school age girls, that uh, computers are for boys. And actually there's been a lot of interesting articles recently about how computers were marketed to boys and men when the PCs first came out and that, women weren't um, really considered um, an audience for them. So that's just another reason you could say, well, if you didn't have a computer, you might not get into them. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I missed that memo. Yeah. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. So, well, I didn't, I mean, I never had a computer until I was like 28. (laughs) Right. Right. My own computer. I mean, obviously I'm older than, the average, you know, geeks now. And, and I mean, they didn't, that nobody had one even, you know, when I was in college, no, there were no personal computers, but they came out right after I graduated. And, uh, um, I worked on them because I often did temp work as a way to put myself through graduate school. And, um, but I bought my first, it was a Toshiba, uh, T1000 laptop to take to Europe when I had a grant to go to Europe. And, um, that was, you know, 
And I never, I didn't get a Mac until much later. Well, Gina, so, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So anyway, but I know like guys are always talking about their first computers, you know, their Radio Shack this and their Commodore that, and, you know, and I wasn't part of that. I, what can I say? It was my first love. <laughs> with uh, all sincerity (laughs) yeah in the video um well you know i I I thought your first love was r2d2 well yeah that's true that is true (laughs) it was the the ways of the force yeah Yeah, is he a robot or not no i won't actually by then i had already been exposed to computers so it was um yeah yeah but they uh anyway i want to talk about you know, you go from the inspiration to the perspiration part and, mm-hmm. and you have done some amazing work and we want to talk about that. But before we do that, though, why don't we take a, a moment to talk about our first sponsor? Yeah, our first sponsor for this episode is our friends over at Gazelle. And as the show is coming out, we've got WWDC going on right now. In fact, you will know very soon, depending on when you listen to this podcast, exactly what is announced at WWDC. And you may be thinking, hmm, you know, it may be time to get rid of some of my now old gadgets that are completely useless that were state of the art just a few hours ago and go buy something <laughs> new. Uh, so if you decide that that's what you need to do, you can find out what your used iPhone, iPad or uh, Mac is worth by heading over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E dot com. And uh, you can go to Gazelle, you can tell them what you've got, you can say, well, you know, I've got uh, an iPad Air, It, I've got an iPad Air 2, it used to be the latest and greatest, now not so much anymore, you know, who knows. Um, you can tell them if it's, if it's a, th- a 4G, if it's um, not, you can tell them what capacity is. They uh, tell them what kind of condition it is, and then they will give you a quote right then and there. You lock in that quote. It's good for 30 days, um, and then they'll send you a box. You put your device in there, and then you ship it off to them, Uh, and it is that simple. You're going to get paid in cash, and payment is fast, usually within just a few days of your item being received. It is absolutely risk-free, and Gazelle will even take care of wiping off your data for you. Uh, Gazelle is how I have sold all of my products in the past before if I'm not handing them down to a friend or family member. Uh, And they have paid out over $175 million to more than 1 million customers. It is easy. You get free shipping and there are no hassles. Um, So head over to gazelle.com and see what your product is worth. And if you didn't know already, uh, Gazelle actually now will allow you to buy pre-certified, pre-owned iPhone, Samsung Galaxy phones, and more directly from Gazelle. So if you've lost your phone, broken your phone, need to get a replacement phone, but don't want to go sign up for a new contract, Gazelle can help you out with a pre-owned device. It's a great way to buy a low-cost replacement device uh, and know that you're getting a quality product. So head over to Gazelle, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, see what your device is worth, or go buy a new device from them. Uh, and while you're there, make sure you let them know that Mac Power users sent you. So thanks to Gazelle for their support of Mac Power users. So, Gene, you, the first time you told me about App Camp for Girls, it, we have these routine calls, like about every month or two, you and I get on the phone together for an hour. And I could almost hear your like eyes looking off into the distance. And, and you know how it is, like everybody out there has the same thing. There's something you're very passionate about, but there's also the thing you're doing to pay the bills. and and every time the subject would come up, I could tell that you were wistful or feeling like this is something you want to do. I mean, you didn't just like quit your job that day at WWDC and go start <laughs> this. Um, and but you did start making steps towards it. And yes. And and how did you get started? Um, 
Well, I, um, I mean, I, I tried not to make any steps towards it when I first, you know, had the idea. I really thought, like, if somebody would do that, I'd totally volunteer for that. Um, <laughs> let's let and, somebody else do it. <laughs> let somebody else do it. I tweeted it out. Um, yeah. so, now, and, let me ask, though, did, did you have the idea? Was your idea right off the bat, I'm going to do a summer camp for girls? Or was your idea of, you know, we should do something that get girls involved, and then the idea of the summer camp evolved from there? Um, it was always a summer camp idea because I had already done rock and roll camp for girls. And I knew how cool that was and how what a big impact that had on girls who had either never done music before or never really put themselves out there, you know, to go from being, um, you know, a novice to the end of the week, you're a rock star playing in a band, a song that you wrote in a big theater in Portland. That's uh, an amazing week, tiring week if you're a volunteer. <laughs> uh, but I, so I knew that you could do a pretty amazing thing in one week and that the key to it was that there was a payoff at the end. So it wasn't just five days of music lessons, you know, or five days of music lessons and playing with other girls and maybe writing a song. It was five days and then a showcase at the end where you had something that you created. I mean, the girls create their own song. They, they have a band, they band names, they make t-shirts. It's, it's incredible. The sense of accomplishment that they have by the end of that rock and roll camp for girls, um, is, um, it's just totally palpable and the energy is incredible. So I knew that there was this model that, I, you know, really believed in because I, I myself had been to ladies rock camp, which, which changed my life. Definitely um, made me into somebody who plays rock and roll music, which I had never really done. And also I volunteered at the rock camp and taught guitar to girls. And um, I saw, you know, with uh, firsthand how great it was. So I thought like, I wonder if we could make this work for app for apps like that girls could come in, you know, work with a team, have an idea and have it be an app in the app store in one week. So <laughs> that last part about the app store that I dropped that uh, idea pretty early on, but um, the, um, the, that's so, yes, it was always, always summer camp. It was never like, what can we do to do more um, for girls? Did but, you did you know at that moment that you were going to turn your life upside down to make that happen? No, not at that moment. I just assumed, I, I always thought I'd work at Smile, you know, for the rest of my working life because it was, I love Smile and I love my partners there and the products were great. And we, you know, we had a nice successful software company that with a job that I loved doing. So yeah, no, I didn't know. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't know if I, if I had realized that in the beginning, whether I would have had the nerve uh, to go ahead with it, because quitting that job was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. So at, at what point do you start taking some affirmative act? So you said your first you tweeted, hey, it would be great if somebody did this. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, a switch in your head said, maybe I should do this. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. 
You know, um, my our mutual friend Colleen Wainwright um, had in 2011. She did a big Indiegogo campaign to raise fifty thousand dollars for a girls' writing program in Los Angeles, um, and so it was a couple months after that WWDC. I was um, with Colleen and um, a couple of her volunteer friends, Jill Murphy and Michelle Jones, who who are also amazing women doing amazing stuff. And we were, you know, doing that kind of like putting together party favors, you know, mode because Colleen made her her goal before her birthday. So she was turning 50 and she was trying to raise $50,000 as a personal project. And I, I threw it out to those ladies who are very ambitious and also done lots of stuff. And they they were all intrigued and, and have all helped me in the meantime. So that was probably the first time I, I you know, I've people who I thought would, um, you know, would give me good feedback. That was, that was Colleen and Michelle and, and Jill all that on that one day in September. Then, but I, you know, I still had it filed away until, um, that next summer was coming around and I was going to WWDC again. And by that point I had sort of mentioned the idea to a few people and I, I thought um, I would start asking more people when I was there and, and try to meet all the women that I could at WWDC, which didn't take very much. <laughs> well, you're working on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, in fact, and I did meet Nat Osten, who is our, you know, lead technical person engineering wise at App Camp. She and I met, you know, just completely serendipitously at WWDC, even though she lives here in Portland. And um, if I hadn't started talking to people about this idea, I might not have met her. You know, somebody said I was talking to one person and they said, you should go to this WDC, WWDC girls lunch get together. So that lunch was like about 30 women. That was it. Now it's already for 2015. It's like, it's, it's sold out. Like I don't know how many hundred women will be there. So things are improving. Definitely. Um, That's great. Yeah. And you you have had some really smart um, women in the the Apple development community help you out. I mean, in addition to that, and just tell us briefly some of the other people you've had. Um. Well, one of the first people, you know, well, there's Kelly Gamont, who writes for Mac Observer. She's a local Portland, you know, geek fixture on the geek scene here and super enthusiastic and smart and fun person. So it was mostly me, Kelly and Nat, like getting together, making plans. And then you introduced me to Liz Marley from Omni Group. And through Liz, I mean, I knew Christina Sontag a bit before that, but Liz and Christina actually came down from Seattle um, the first summer to volunteer for a couple of days at App Camp, the first beta camp that we did. And they've been just, you know, incredible supporters and um, and were the ones who who were responsible for getting Seattle App Camp launched last summer. And they're doing it again this summer. And for our listeners, Liz, Liz was the project manager of OmniFocus for a That's long time. Right. She's, That's she's right. a real smart lady. Right. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. And, um, we, um, 
I mean, we have such an incredible team now. It's, it's, and, and I would point out that, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I have come to realize is that app camp is about much more than girls. It's definitely about women because this team now, there's such a great network and uh, community and supporting each other. And like, you know, some of the women who we work with, you know, some of the volunteers are developers already. Other ones are like software savvy, you know, they do QA or they do um, tech support or, you know, so or they do web design or something, some other kind of programming, and they all help each other out. If somebody wants to learn how to do iOS development, somebody else in the in the community will definitely, you know, help and support them. And um, uh, that's that's just been incredible. And it made me realize, like, my original idea for the camp was that we would just only have women iOS developers as volunteers, which there just aren't enough of them. Uh, and so we ha- had to, I had to like give up my big idea, which was, pro- you know, uh, women already in the field being all the staff, but, and get women who, who could learn how to use Xcode and teach the girls how to use Xcode in a week. Um, and then what you know came of that is that women who weren't iOS developers helped us out and then became iOS developers. And so we've already moved the needle, even though our oldest, you know, camper alumni are, you know, 15 or 16 years old at this point. So. Um, well, yeah. and you, you even went on your own um, journey to become a developer. Yes. <laughs> and, and uh, I think that is an excellent thing to talk about because there's a lot of our listeners that are interested in that as well. And I want to talk about that. But before we do that, let's just take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Fracture. And Fracture is a company that does amazing things with photographs. We've all got pictures. And, and today, especially when you've got the digital cameras and the iPhones that take such great pictures, you've got these collections of thousands and thousands of photographs. But how many of them do you have printed out? How many of them do you have in a book or on the wall? And I know for a lot of people, there's a lot of problems with that. You know, you, you get a picture. Well, if I print it out, how am I going to print it out? You know, I don't have a really good quality photo printer at home. Do I send it out to a store? And then once I get it printed, I have to go find a frame for it. There's all these problems involved. Well, Fracture takes all of that away. Um, what they do is you send them a picture through the Internet and they print the picture on a piece of glass and they print it on the back of the glass, but they do it in a way that makes it look like the picture is literally on the surface of the glass. Just like when you're holding an iPhone these days and the icons look like they're on the top of the glass fracture does that with your photographs and they cover all sizes. They do square shapes. They do, you know, the regular photo shapes. They go as low as five by five inches. And that's just $15. I've got one of those of when I was in Alaska on the dog sled. I made a little one and I keep it next to my desk because it makes me happy. But they go big as well. And they have all these different sizes. And but anyway, so you send it, you send them the picture and then they do it. They hand check it for quality. They ship it in a way and you say, wait, I'm going to have a piece of glass shipped to me. It's great. They did. I did all my book covers in it in really large sizes because I can't help myself, you know, narcissist, all that. Um, 
and they shipped it to me and they came out looking great. They look awesome on my wall. People love them. I also give them ways gifts, especially for uh, people that, you know, a lot of times when we get to the holidays, people want a, a nice picture. And because it's already on the glass, it comes with a little screw. You just screw it in the wall, you hang it up and you're done. You don't have any of that other headache I was talking about. And it's all very reasonably priced. I've, I've been very happy with them as a customer before they're a sponsor. I'll be a customer long after they're a sponsor. So go check it out. It's, um, www.fractureme.com. And, and we get a discount for you. If you use the promo code MAC15, M-A-C-1-5, you get 15% off your first order and, um, and you're going to love the pictures. These guys keep coming back and sponsoring the show because our listeners keep buying Fracture prints and that's because they're awesome. So, so go check it out. I'm so happy to have found Fracture and I hope you will be too. So, Gene, before you can even hold your first camp, there's a lot of preliminary stuff you've got to do. I mean, you can't just swing open your doors and say, hey, come on, we're, we're going to have <laughs> this camp. Um, I mean, one of the big barriers we talked about, David alluded to, is, yes, you're a techie person. You've got a background in tech, but you don't know how to code. And the premise of your <laughs> camp is teaching girls how to code. Yes, Um I guess I'm pretty fearless. Um, I I knew that I could learn how to code, though. Like I obviously I'd been doing web design and doing a little bit of back end stuff, and I took computer programming when I was in college back in the ancient days of COBOL and Fortran, and um, and I was good at it, even if I you know had to carry around a big box of punch cards, you know around campus to uh, get my programs run by the mainframe computer. So, um, and I think maybe, you know, maybe I just always wanted an excuse to go to Big Nerd Ranch. (laughs) And this was a good one because I, I wanted to really brush up and see if I could learn how to make an app in a week. And, um, so I did, I took the Big Nerd Ranch iOS bootcamp, um, beginning iOS bootcamp course in uh, fall of 2012 when I had decided, yes, we'll do something in 2013. It'll be called App Camp for Girls. And if it's nothing else, it'll be just me and a few girls like sitting around. I'll show them what I can teach them, you know, about building programs for the iPhone. Um, And that was great, man. I can't recommend Big Nerd Ranch highly enough that the materials are good. The instructors are amazing. They just have a really good philosophy. Um, it is not cheap, but if you are serious about becoming an iOS developer, um, which is a skill that's in highly, highly in demand and, you know, pretty highly uh, paid, then it is a good investment, I would say. And, you know, I just use my own money. I, I went into my savings to I think at the time, it's probably pretty similar, about $5,000. Yeah, I just looked on the site, and I'll put a link in the show notes. It's $5,200. Yeah, and that includes you're, you're being housed and fed for seven days. This this boot camp is seven days long. It is not one week. Um, I like to remind people it's, it's, it's definitely one of the hardest things I've done, but the hard work to fund and, you know, like – sense of accomplishment ratio was very, very good, very favorable. And, um, 
I was very happy that I went and it, it, it boosted me to where I needed to be to at least talk intelligently about um, making simple apps for the iPhone and that I had done it myself. And um, did the yeah. curriculum at Big Nerd Ranch at all? I, I mean, obviously, you're not going to run the girls through the same type of curriculum, but did that at all influence and help you design a curriculum saying, OK, well, this is what I was able to accomplish in a week. Mm-hmm. This is maybe what we can do with with girls in a week. Um, well, definitely, because, they, you know, they start out with some simple um, apps. Uh, I mean, one thing about Big Nerd Ranch um, that they definitely focus more on code than we do in, in App Camp, because you can't go to Big Nerd Ranch, even the beginning iOS boot camp, without with zero background. It's not meant for that. It doesn't take you from zero to app developer. It takes you from, you have some familiarity with programming and you've, I mean, at the time, I mean, I got myself completely, um, uh, I, I didn't, you know, studied on my own for like two months, like a couple hours every night, Objective-C, so that I had the Objective-C background before I got there. And, uh, um, in fact, you and I were going through the book together. We were, that lasted and about you, one week. <laughs> you left me in the dust. <laughs> I, did. I was glad to leave you in the dust because honestly, I thought if David Sparks can do all the things he's doing and do iOS programming with me, then I am, I'm going to suspect he's really an alien. Uh, so, so I was, I was sorry that we didn't do it together, but I was, I was kind of relieved that you had to actually say, I, I don't have enough time to do this. <laughs> um, but the, uh, um, the, what they don't do, or they didn't, and I, I'm, I, it's probably changed somewhat, but at that time, storyboards, which is like a kind of visual way of um, putting apps together in Xcode, that was new-ish and for me, I thought storyboards was when I saw it at WWDC the first time. I thought that is what we could use because you could drag buttons into, you know, interfaces and run little apps, make a few little things happen without even programming. And um, you still needed to be able to program to make the apps, you know, do anything real. But there would be that excitement of like they made an app and all it does is you click a button and it says hello world or something, you know, that's exciting the first time you do it. So um, big nerd ranch was not so much about the storyboards. They were definitely more about the, the programming and uh, the coding end of it. But anyway, I, I, I was really um, glad I would like to go again. Um, if I could, I did see my instructor one time at WWDC, his name's Step Christopher. And he said, so you're going to come back for advanced iOS bootcamp? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I want to come back for beginning iOS bootcamp and do it again. And now with Swift, uh, I think, you know, maybe I should do that. Um, yeah, they've got a because- Swift course and an Objective-C course. Oh, do they? I mm-hmm. haven't looked at uh, lately since I and all my extra free time to go away for seven days to learn programming. I haven't thought about going back anytime soon. Um, but you, but you, so at this time you were woodshedding, learning enough programming to be able to teach it. Yes. And, and also just to understand it because you had a lot of volunteers, like, you know, we've already mentioned a few of them that are very, mm-hmm. very competent programmers. Um, right. 
but you, you didn't you didn't want to be the person running it who didn't understand it at all. And that makes sense. But right. you also had to put together an entire nonprofit and all of the <laughs> pieces that come with that at the same time. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how you did it, frankly, you know, uh, looking well, back. It's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Um, <laughs> uh, I, um, I can say with all honesty that if it had not been for, you know, some of those key Mac power user um, advisors from the beginning, I don't know where we would be today because I felt very overwhelmed at how to get traction, like to get started. And I think that's interesting because Mac power users, you, you know, I think your listeners probably in general have a, a kind of like, well, let's figure out how to do it. Like what's the most straightforward way? Cause I had talked to one lawyer um, that I had, you know, found in town who was definitely a nonprofit, um, you know, specialist, but I felt depressed after talking to her because I'd, I felt so overwhelmed, you know, and it felt so legalistic and I didn't really understand it. And then to talk, you know, to the lawyer who eventually, you know, became our main advisor was like, Oh, he just gets it. Like he, he puts things in, in sensible like chunks and he explains it in real life way. So that was great. And, and as you I, said, like, I think we should call him out. I don't think can we call him out. I, yeah. I think we should. Josh Barrett, who is a, yes. an attorney up in Portland, a listener of our show. And he has gone so far above and beyond. And everybody in Portland is looking for a lawyer. Yes. Go check out Josh. He's at create legal.com. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's a friend of mine. I've known him for years from, from actually from the ABA tech show he used to attend. Yeah. And um, um, if I were starting another business uh, today, I would, I mean, he would definitely be my lawyer um, for that as well. Um, and uh, you know, that could happen. I mean, I might, <laughs> might not do app camp forever, but he, uh, yeah, he works with a lot of creative type firms here in Portland. And um, he, you know, I, I just think he's he's a, a plain talk kind of guy. I mean, he obviously knows his stuff, but he he doesn't. I did not feel like overwhelmed and crying and needing a drink after I left his office the first time. That's the goal. <laughs> and for if a you did, he'd go with you. <laughs> well, that's true. We've had a, we've raised a couple pints in in our uh, the course of our working relationship. Um, right. And uh, anyway, but yeah. So the, so everything I've done has been like in baby steps, and I think. Having finding that person and that is hard, like finding somebody that you can trust who can give you like, you know, sort of the pointers of like, here's what you need to really worry about. Here's what you can not worry about for now. That that's key. And, you know, I don't know how to, um, you know, give advice about finding that person, but you will know that person when you meet them, you know, like part of it. I, I do believe in the power of your gut instinct. And even though this other lawyer on paper should have been the perfect lawyer for me, I just, I was like, I never want to talk to her again. Like, and, and it would have been like pulling teeth. Um, Then, um, you know, the, the whole fiscal sponsorship, which is a, an arrangement for app camp to operate under the umbrella of an official IRS um, designated nonprofit. Yeah, talk uh, talk about that a little bit because that's an interesting thing that you did yeah. that, that allows you to be to to get a lot of the benefits of a nonprofit without doing a lot of the initial stuff up front. Right. Um, well, it's interesting because, like, going back to 
my my first conversations with Colleen and that group of women, uh, uh, Jill Murphy, who was there, she has worked with a lot of nonprofits, and she was the first one who told me about there that this kind of you know there was an uh, an arrangement that we could do because getting a nonprofit uh, application in and approved by the IRS is not an uh, weekend project, I can tell you. <laughs> and, and it takes a while um, to get your own nonprofit status. Plus, I felt like I would like to see how things go before we go to this level, you know, of, um, you know, it's an $850 application fee. You know, it's not like something you do, you know, on, on a whim. So a fiscal sponsor is, um, they they basically control all your money. So all these all the wonderful donations we've been getting through Indiegogo, they will end up in an account that I don't actually have access to um to you know write checks or take money out. I have to um go to the Technology Association of Oregon the uh, and give them, you know, expense reports essentially and and have them, you know, cut checks for stuff that we need to pay for. So, um, uh, they can't just like give us all the money and we put it in a bank account because that would not, that's actually, you know, called a pass through and that would be violating that's the IRS regulations. They, they have to do more than just collect the money. They have to oversee our spending of it and to verify that we're spending it in, you know, uh, Compliance with a mission that the IRS, you know, considers a nonprofit. So you're mission. Not, not spending it all on beer and pizza. No, but we do spend a little I on bet beer and pizza. Well, I bet she spends a lot on pizza, actually. With you know, no. well, yeah, that's true. We do pizza. We always have a pizza party at camp for the girls. Um, yeah, but yeah, we 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 pay our volunteers in pizza and sometimes in beer or club soda or whatever they want to drink. But um, yeah, they yeah we don't. We, I like this setup right now because, or, and I certainly liked it in the beginning because I felt like, you know, people who had more experience than me were overseeing this, you know, pretty substantial chunk of money that we raised when we first launched that I, you know, I felt like even though I'm inexperienced, I'm working with people who know what they're doing. So, so as you're putting all, and that was actually that your physical sponsor was also Mac Parry's listener, yes. which I can't yes. help but brag that about a little bit. Totally out of the blue. Like if we hadn't done that show when we did it, I'm serious. I don't know what would have happened. I, I, I don't know. Uh, Cause I was feeling, I, I was looking around for fiscal sponsors and I, there weren't many obvious choices in Portland. You know, it's not every, every nonprofit is not actually interested in doing a fiscal sponsorship. I mean, so it just so happened that that guy, um, and now his name is escaping me, but he's, he's not with TAO anymore, but he's a great, really, you know, friendly guy, Chris. Um, he, they had already started working with another organization in Portland called Chick Tech of all things. And so he, he said, you know, we might be able to work with you. Um, uh, and that's, you know, that was, that was key between the two of them. So I met Josh first, I think, and I met the TAO folks second. 
and all within the space of a few weeks. And I went from feeling like, I don't know how this is ever going to work out, which I think it's what I said to you, David. <laughs> I don't know how, what to do. And, and to being like, Hey, we, we definitely, we've got it together. So um, I'm, I'm sure everybody who starts a business, you know, you, you have to find your equivalent, you know, and maybe, you know, a, a, a I think a lawyer is probably essential. <laughs> An accountant is essential. Like you can't really do these things yourself. So, but at some point, all of a sudden wheels are in motion. You've got really smart people helping you out. You've got support. And then all of a sudden this is happening and you have to figure out how to keep it all together, manage it all. And, yes. <laughs> and I want to talk about that next. Cause I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know this story. I don't know what you did to keep track of all of these things you were doing at once. <laughs> and I'm sure that you had some pretty interesting tricks for that. So let's talk about that. But before we do, why don't we talk about uh, another sponsor? Yeah, our next sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at 1Password. And we've talked about 1Password extensively, and it allows you to create and store strong, unique passwords so that you don't run into that bad habit of reusing the same password over and over again across all of your devices. And we all do it but you shouldn't do it. You know, 1Password is multi-platform. It works on your Mac. It works on your PC. It works on your iPhone. It works on your iPad. And it just works. Everything is everywhere when you need it. Uh, oh, it also works on your Apple Watch. Did I mention that? They've got an Apple Watch app. And the way that everything can be everywhere when you need it is because it all syncs seamlessly through the cloud. They can sync through Dropbox. They can think, sync through iCloud. Wherever you need it, it just works. So you go into 1Password, you start by you know adding the bookmarklet to your, or the uh, the one password extension to your website, and then as you start filling in your passwords, one password will start remembering them. And before you know it, you'll have all of your essential passwords figured out. And then you can go in, and one password will uh, perform a security audit for you, and will say, "Well, hey, you know, I've noticed that your password to this site is the same password that you've used on that site, so you may want to do something about that." And one password can even generate passwords for you, so you can generate strong and secure passwords. Go update those passwords on your, your various sites and know that you're um, not using the same password across multiple sites. And then it can say, hey, you know, you haven't changed these passwords in a while. Maybe you want to go take a look at that. Or, you know, these are really good passwords, but, you know, these passwords you may want to take a look at because those are a little weaker. And 1Password lets you stay on top of all that. And in a recent version of 1Password, they introduced this new feature called Watchtower. And I don't even know how they do this. I think it's just magical. They've got an elf behind the scenes that keeps track of all these things. But every day you hear about a new site that is uh, becoming compromised. And when that happens, you can turn on Watchtower and 1Password will let you know so that if one of your sites that you've got a password to and 1Password has become compromised, you'll see a big red banner across that that says your password may have been compromised. You might want to go change it. But you know, it's probably not that big of a deal because if you're using 1Password like a power user, you probably don't haven't reused that password across multiple sites. You can just go in and change it and update the information in your 1Password. So it is a great application and it's an application that even if you've been using it for a while, there are always ways that you can get in there and update and, and up your game, uh, particularly by going in and performing a security audit every couple of months and making sure that you're staying on top of your passwords, that they're strong, secure, unique, you're not repeating those 
passwords and that you've uh, been on top of your security audits and that you don't have any sites with compromised passwords in there. You can find more information about 1Password over at onepassword.com. Uh, and thanks to the folks over at Agile Bits for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, so we've got Gene McDonald, who has now become CEO of a successful nonprofit. <laughs> and you're laughing, but you have, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and you are at any one time, uh, I know as your friend, you are uh, managing volunteers, you are planning out future camps, you are marketing, you're, um, you're at a camp working with the girls. I mean, you are truly the jack, jack of all trades. You know, they say the CEO is usually the broom pusher and the CEO all in one. That's Gene. And, and I don't know, how do you manage it all? I mean, how are you using your Mac to help you keep all this stuff together? Um, yeah, well, there's several things I'm doing. Um, one thing that's worked out pretty well um, from like a task management a fairly simple task management strategy is uh, we've been using Evernote with shared notebooks um, so that what we do, so we have a, an amazing um, operations manager, uh, another just great person who came into the the picture kind of serendipitously, uh, Michelle Petruzzi, who was the, she's married to a, Justin Miller, who's a, a iOS developer, uh, he he's one of you know been a friend of mine, and he said Michelle's looking for volunteer work. Um, maybe she could help at App Camp, but she's not a technical person. But I knew her, you know, as the wife of my friend who throws the most amazing parties and is the most organized person I've ever seen. <laughs> so, so Michelle is, you know, started out as a volunteer, and she's actually been our our part time. Um, operations manager since, uh, you know, for over a year, uh, she and I have shared notebooks and we have, we like them because you can put little check. So we make notes that are to do lists. So we're not using a dedicated to do list. We're using Evernote and we have checkbox. You can put checkboxes into your notes. Um, we make a shared note and it's, you know, in a table, one column's my to do's and one's Michelle's. And we have in our schedule every week we review our Evernote um, stuff and we add stuff, you know, or take stuff away. And then every month we like copy out what's not done and we make a new note. So each month has a note. Um, It's not, you know, it's not high ninja style David Allen level getting things done, but it works for us. And I think that's the key. <laughs> I, I just could you explain uh, one part? So if you get to the end of the month and you've got something in there, like um, you know, set schedule for mm-hmm. for Vancouver camp, and you haven't done it, you just you just copy it into the new month. Is that how you mm-hmm. do it? You, okay. Yeah. yeah, we basically copy everything and then we delete the ones that are checked off. But we like to keep the checked off ones in there for you know, like throughout the month. We like seeing all the things we have checked off. It gives us a feeling that things are getting done. <laughs> and that also gives you kind of an audit trail as well. Like if you see something that's been trailing a long time. Yes, we have those. <laughs> we have a few of those that have been trailing quite a long time. And, um, but I can't bear to totally take them off the list, but obviously they're not mission critical or they would have been done uh, by now. Do you also um, do document management through Evernote? No document management. We have been doing, we Dropbox, a combination of Dropbox and Google Docs. 
So Dropbox is for kind of the, the main app camp operation stuff that we don't tend to share out with everybody, you know, that everybody doesn't need or either doesn't need access to, or we shouldn't be giving access to, you know, sensitive type documents to the whole team. Um, and then we, uh, we use Google Docs for, um, you know, for stuff that gets shared to each camp. Um, so budgets and, and sh- shopping lists, we just were working on, you know, what each camp has to buy on their, um, you know, locally. Like we, we provide a lot of stuff from the app camp headquarters, but, um, you know, it's getting to the point where the, they should, the uh, other camps, Seattle and Vancouver should, probably buy their own hula hoops because I've tried to have a hula hoop shipped and it did not turn out well. And so. Yeah. I would imagine shipping a hula hoop probably costs more than the hula hoop itself. Yeah. And also it does, you know, the one that came, um, I did, I ordered one on Etsy as a test and it got, you know, it got bent. It's no good. And, and I, 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 I'm, I just, you know, I realize now we have to find local hula hoop suppliers and hula hoops are really important for app camp. So it's not like a joke about getting them. And, um, how, how do you yeah. use them? I mean, with- well, we use them for, uh, that's one of our, you know, main forms of exercise during the week. Um, just, just because- FYI, you can get a set of three hula hoops on, on Amazon. You can't sh- get good ones on ha- Amazon though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I know. I looked, I've, I've looked and, and, those we need hula hoops that are like at least 38 40 inches and like fairly sturdy and uh uh so like the toy hula hoops you might buy at a toy store are you know for little kids really um i had gene making like venn diagrams with hula hoops i had this in my mind i had a very complex serious hula hoops we just use the hula hoops, Dave. We, just, hula, you know. <laughs> we, we hoop. We have a hula hooping workshop on the first day, so the girls who haven't hula hooped are hoopers by the end of the week, or they're or they're not. I mean, we don't. Oh, yeah, I, I can't hula hoop, so maybe I need to come to Appam just so I can learn yeah. how to hula hoop. Hula, hooping is great. I mean, I I I saw an ignite talk about hula hooping, like, and the guy hooped the whole time as he was talking, holding a microphone, and. It was very inspiring. And then I took a hula hooping class myself. Kent, Kent by the resurgent of hula hooping? Yes. Yeah. All right. I used to have so much fun <laughs> hula hooping with my daughters when they were young. And we would like, we would do it while I watch TV. We'd like try and walk around the house with it. You know, yeah. it's well, actually it's, it's kind a of fun. Great, you know, and, and the girls need to blow off steam. So we have a set of hula hoops. They're sitting out and they can at any time pick them up. If there's room like, in, you know, in the camp room, they can hula hoop inside, but you know, there's space outside for hula hooping as well. And it's not for every camper, but um, a lot of them really like it. Or they start doing stuff like jumping through the hula hoops and like raising them up kind of like limbo style. And that I could not watch that. <laughs> it was too scary. You were talking about storing documents on, on Dropbox. Yeah, and yeah now my, David's uh, moving you back to that, the productivity stuff. I oh, Yeah, we just put hula hoops on our on our spreadsheets um, for our local camp organizers to know that here's your budget for hula hoops. Here's how many you have to buy. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, uh, my wife, yeah, my, I was just last night doing with this. My wife, she helps uh, a local business with some stuff and she's got a, a set of like public relations type photographs for the business that mm-hmm. various 
people can use that are attached to the business. So if they need to get pictures of this or that, she's created like this Dropbox, like bank of photos. Yeah. And she went in. And, and I, it never occurred to me because I always do this stuff with geeks. So it, it's just never really a problem. But last night she says, I don't know what to do. And she came to me and, and somebody that had access to that folder had copied everything out of it. And um, they had actually had moved everything out of it. So uh, they probably like dragged it to their desktop or did something and everybody was losing it. And nobody was taking oh. responsibility. And and um, we went we were able in Dropbox, you can actually go and restore essentially deleted right. items. But uh, I, I set up a Hazel rule for her. Um, so now every time, I, I, once a week, it goes and makes a copy of that whole thing onto her local drive in a place people can't get to it. Oh. And um, But I was thinking that actually can be Dropbox as a document storage provider with multiple people can actually have some problems involved with it. You know, well, like you have to be careful. We, we don't share the folder, actually. We share a link so that people can... Um, access the folder and they can download the photos, but they can't, they can't, they don't have the folder to play around with. Yeah. Smart. Um, so that was something I, and I'll tell you why, because the first time I did share, you know, like I started putting all these photos into an assets folder that we had, you know, with logos and stuff in it. And, and I started getting email like from Liz Marley saying, um, you're dropping like gigs of stuff into Dropbox. That's going into my, Dropbox because it's a shared folder um, and this is causing trouble. And I hadn't thought about that when I started copying all those photos. And so I don't want to share the photos folder because I don't want people to have to have that level of storage, you know, in their own Dropbox. So the difference between sharing a folder where you both have it, you know, locally versus sharing a link that somebody can use to access a document without necessarily having it as part of their Dropbox. But, you know, the downside of Dropbox and Google Docs both, um, and I'm only saying the downside, I don't know compared to what, because I don't know how you would uh, solve this problem, but is organization, because you can move something from a folder um, and the person can still see it on their end, but they don't see it in that folder. Like if I create a new folder for something, I feel like that doesn't get created, say, on Michelle's Mac. She still gets to the document as she's always gotten to it, but I see it in a different place. Um, and that definitely happens in Google Docs as well, because you can make a folder for something, but your folder is unique to you. And, you know, you see, you have to remember, like, there's documents that you created, then there's documents that people have shared with you. And if you want to see them all together, you have to be kind of clever about it. And even then, we very often are sitting there going like, wait, where is this document now? You know, so that's frustrating. And I would like to work on that. I mean, she and I have it as an agenda item after probably after the summer is over to try to clean up um, the shared documents and also, you know, come up with some, you know, rules or principles of how we'll do stuff so that we don't get, you know, it's a little bit convoluted, but luckily both Dropbox and Google docs have good search functionality. So if you need to find something, you can still find it. I actually don't think, I don't think Google documents scales very well. When you start adding a lot to it actually is kind of hard to, to organize. Yeah. 
Katie, you were going to say something? Yeah, I know one of the things that you've been working on, uh, particularly now that you've got a few summers of App Camp under your belt, is creating an App Camp kit. And I don't know if I'm yes. using that that term correctly, but yeah. uh, you know, basically, you know, there's only one Gene McDonald, and you've done a great job of you know getting volunteers and getting other people to run App Camps for you. But the idea is is putting together a package that you can send to other people so that I, I don't want to say franchise app camp, but that's not right. That's not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But but putting together a package that you can send to other people and you can say, okay, this is how you run an app camp. Now go do it. Is that a good summary mm-hmm. of what? Of that's what, a very good summary. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about putting together the app camp kit. Is that what you're doing with these services? Is the app camp kit going to be digital? Is this going to be a box that you ship to somebody and say, <laughs> here's a, here's everything that you need app camp in a box or something, you know? Well, you know, one of the things that I had a realization as we were putting together the Indiegogo campaign and talking about things we, you know, spend money on is that the big part of app camp kit is hardware. So some of it is actually going to be in a box and it will either get shipped or, you know, uh, taken as, as care, uh, not carry on, but checked as luggage. Um, we, you know, so we do have a physical part of the kit is six right now, six MacBook pros, 12 iPod touches, three, um, scan snap, um, portable scanners and all the cords for all that stuff. <laughs> um, but so this is totally main... geeky, but do you, do you, how, how do you ship all that stuff? Like, do you have like custom well, foam created, you know, Pelicans yes. or something? Exactly. Oh, you, cool. You, yes. And that is cool. We were, we were like little kids on, on Christmas, the day that we got those delivered, the sales guy who, you know, did the order. He came to show us, you know, and, so he had come to measure all our stuff and then he came back with like the case and the foam insert, you know, was in there and it holds six MacBook Pros and it, I mean, it's totally dedicated to the, um, to exactly the equipment we have. And I mean, it's dust proof, it's waterproof, it's shock proof, but it has a handle and wheels. And we were like, this is the best thing ever because we've been schlepping these computers around like kind of like in plastic bins and you really don't want to carry six MacBook pros um, at once. It's some people can do it, but it is pretty heavy when you're, you know, and you don't want to drop them obviously. So um, that was, uh, that was one of our challenges. We just resolved with it, with a custom solution. Um, and, and our local um, uh, vendor, uh, Bauer cases. I mean, they, they do all sorts of cases and um, they basically came out and they measure it. And it wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be considering what it is. So uh, I would suggest that for anybody who feels like they've been um, wanting a Pelican type case. I think we don't actually have the actual Pelican brand case, but it's it, we're calling it the Pelican case because it might as well be. Um, and, uh, yeah, check into it. You know, if you're schlepping around a lot of, uh, valuable, delicate equipment all the time, there might be a case that be perfect, you know, have spend the money. I'm, I'm, a, a, you know, your, your equipment is expensive. So <laughs> it's like a lot of money goes into that equipment. We should spend some money on transporting it. So we could ship that case. I mean, obviously we would insure it, um, but uh it you know it's it's tough it's it's ready 
there are other ways to ship computers. I mean, I looked into it um, as well. Like if we didn't get the Pelican case, we you can get like at the UPS store, they have special computer case, you know, boxes meant to ship computers and, you know, with fairly customizable foam inserts. And I looked into maybe we would get six of those and ship them. And they, But in the end, it really made sense to get the Pelican case. So you, you send for every camp, you've got this box of gear because the girls mm-hmm. are, they're in Xcode and they're making apps. And mm-hmm. then you've got, you know, all the other stuff that's involved with keeping it fun and entertaining and educational for them. And then at this point, you're, you're going to each camp, aren't you? Mm, yes. Yeah, I mean, so. I'm not going to each camp. I'm going to the launch of each camp. Yeah. So uh, last summer we went to Seattle, you know, and stayed there for the week to observe and help out if we were needed, but not to, you know, not to take over or, or be the main volunteers. And I'll be doing that in Vancouver. Nat and I will b- both be in Vancouver July 6th through the 10th. But then I'll drive down to Seattle. Well, Nat and I will t- will be driving. So we're going to drive the computers up to Vancouver because that's, it's seven hour drive from here. Um, and uh, we, after Vancouver, we need the computers in Seattle the next week. So we'll drive from Vancouver to Seattle, which is a few hours. Yeah, that short. would be, that would be a big problem if, if the package gotten you know delayed. I know. Well, <laughs> the joke is, you know, we have to go across the, um, the border with all this stuff, but, um, and I, I, I'm not anticipating a problem. I mean, now, because actually app camp is an official nonprofit in Canada as well. Um, but I said, as I, when I was in Vancouver this week for a few meetings and I said, well, worst case scenario, you know, we don't really use the computers that much on day one. We will go to the Apple store, get out the credit card, buy six more computers and deal with it. You know, so that's if somehow we, we don't get our, our computers through customs, then we'll be on a big shopping spree. But I, I don't anticipate that being a problem. Well, um, we speak- have lawyers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> your, your lawyers will get your computers out of customs for you. Yeah. 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 You know, two, there's two things we haven't talked about yet that I think are, are kind of useful and I'd like to hear about. Number one is how do you manage communications with this team? Because mm-hmm. I know you guys are doing a lot of stuff. And also, I want you to share some of your social media tricks because mm-hmm. you, you really, I mean, App Camp for Girls was written up in the New Yorker. And to me, that's <laughs> like, oh, what? You know, I mean, <laughs> I didn't think anybody I ever knew in my life would be written up in the New Yorker. It was actually one of my favorite days when I heard that you, <laughs> you pulled that off. And I'm sure people out there would like to hear how you did it. So let's yeah. talk about that. But before we do, I just want to take a minute to talk about our last sponsor today. And that's our friends over at lynda.com. Lynda.com is online training for just about anything. I mean, when I first heard about Lynda years ago, I remember when they used to be at Macworld, it was the place you would go to learn how to do Photoshop. Um, well, they still do that. They're they're the, one of the top computer training companies out there. They have really great video by people who really understand the software, walking you through, teaching you how to do it in nice bite-sized chunks. But they've expanded so much. They also have business training, public speaking, accounting, 2,400 courses by experts, and there's new ones every week. In fact, that's one of my favorite things about being a Linda subscriber is every week when I get that email and it's got all like the new courses in it. I was just looking here. Um... This week, they've got one on communicating with confidence, which I think I'm going to watch. 
Uh, they've got one on how to present on stay on point, which Katie is going to want me to watch <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> drawing a wedding monogram and illustrator. I mean, just whatever it is that you're interested in, they've got a course in there. It's taught by somebody. It's done really well. The way they do these courses is like, I said, they're in bite-sized pieces. Everything is, is transcribed as well. And you can watch the whole course, you know, soup to nuts from beginning to end, or you can just say, well, I really want to get good at this one feature in this application. So I'm going to go in and watch just the section on that and get good at that. Uh, like I said, 2,400 courses. So there's going to be something in there you like, and you get all of this for $25 a month, unlimited access. Um, go check it out. Lynda.com. Uh, they have a, um, a free trial for Mac power users listeners at seven days. So you can go in there at seven days and you could just like binge it for seven days. You could learn a lot for free. Go to lynda.com slash Mac power users, and you can get that free seven day trial. Um, it comes with a warning. Once you try it out, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to subscribe. That's what happened to me. I did a free trial like three or four years ago and I've never left. Uh, so check it out. Lynda.com. Thank you so much, Linda, for the support and everybody go check out Linda to learn something new. Okay, so you've got all these people you're managing, and I know you're getting email. I mean, uh, it's great that you've got an Evernote document you share, but how do you communicate with everybody as you're coordinating all this? Um, we do a lot in email, uh, obviously. We did just, well, we, this year we started um, using Slack, um, which is a intranet, um, I don't know exactly what they call themselves, but basically it's... a um, a way for us to communicate as a group. And um, it's been really helpful. Uh, you can, um, you can have different channels. So we have a channel on Slack for each location. Um, so everybody, all our volunteers don't have to join every channel. So the Portland volunteers are in the Portland channel and Seattle and the Seattle channel. We have a channel for, for coding. Um, so for the people who are really working on, the code aspect of what we're doing, they can, you know, geek out there. And uh, uh, we have a fundraising channel now because uh, I didn't want to keep, um, you know, littering the regular general channel with every announcement about what was happening fundraising wise. And um, that's kind of cool. Um, and we have a WWDC channel because there's going to be like nine of us there. So um, that's, that's, that's what's been very helpful. And we just, it's just kind of gotten off the ground. We, we had only the camp leaders in the, in the Slack um, board to start off with. And we recently opened it up to all of our summer full-time volunteers. So it went from being a little bit quiet to now pretty much chatter. And I think we're all trying to figure out like how to best, you know, use it. But I love it because I just see all of these women are, you know, just like enjoying each other's company online and helping each other. And and I don't have to do anything. I'm probably one of the least active people on the Slack um, board uh, because I don't, you know, if somebody has a question, somebody else knows the answer. It's really great. We've, we've had so many guests talking about Slack over the last year or so. And Katie and I have both recently joined the Relay FM Slack channel and a couple others. And I, let me just tell you, I am a believer in Slack. If you're out there and you've got a small group or even kind of a large group, this is a really great way to keep in constant communication with everybody. And, and like you were saying that there is definitely a balance in there. You don't want to, you don't want to treat it like, um, 
text messaging or like being there all day, (laughs) you know, but, but it's just a great way for people to communicate with each other very quickly and easily. It's much more efficient than email for like intercompany communications. And I know this is a big thing for geeks, but honestly, I, I think if you're, if I was running an insurance company, I would have a Slack channel for my company because it's just, it's just such an easy way for all of, all of the team to have easy contact with each other and just get, you know, quick feedback yeah. without having to turn it into a big thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's great. I'm not sure what yeah, makes we, for we've law talked firm. about Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about Slack all the time though on, on the podcast. So I don't want to dwell on yeah. that too much. Well, yeah. I mean, one thing I think uh, I've learned is um, in general is that there is no perfect communication channel. So um, like when we first started using Twitter at Smile, there was definitely a bit of, you know, concern that people would start asking customer support questions on Twitter. <laughs> and, you know, we had this whole, you know, organized customer support infrastructure and it was completely separate from Twitter. But I remember reading somebody or maybe I was in a, in, a, in a talk, somebody said, you you have to communicate with your customers where they want to communicate. <laughs> like, instead of saying, like, to every person on Twitter that asked a tech question, you know, please contact us at support. Um, we don't answer tech support questions on Twitter or whatever. I mean, it's hard to answer tech support questions on Twitter, obviously, because of the shortness of the messages. But we did start saying, you know, if we could answer it in 140 characters or in maybe a couple of tweets, we'd started doing that and just said, oh, well, that person's not going to be in our system. You know, there's no, no, you know, record in the support system, but we can live with that because the person asked a question and we answered it they, and they were our, our customer and we didn't, we didn't insist on our way of doing things. And so I've started to accept that about Slack as well. Um, that because even though certain things I prefer to have an email, um, I would rather hear the questions than people not answer, asking them at all. If, you know, and plus I get behind an email, you know? And so if there's a question and somebody else sees it and answers it, then that's an email I'd never had to have in my inbox. <laughs> and then you're using social media with app camp. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's how you're yeah. getting the word about. That's how you're promoting it. I mean, in fact, you launched your Indiegogo campaign on, on social media. I mean, you, you, you raised a significant yeah. amount of money through social media. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just, you know, was my, um, uh, you know, MO from, from smile, which is like you release things, the night before, you know, they're technically the release date. So release things, in this case, we, we turned on the switch for the Indiegogo at midnight. Um, all, we have plenty of friends and supporters, you know, who are awake when it's midnight on the West Coast. And, you know, it was good. It's good for Smile. It's good for us. Like, you get like sort of a, a dry run of um, either feedback or in our case, you know, with a funding campaign that money is, is gets donated right away. Um, that when people start looking at it in the U S you know, where you know, the majority of our supporters are, it's our, you know, it's not at zero or $100, you know, already a few thousand dollars have been contributed. And, um, 
by the morning. So, um, yeah, we put that out on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I, I mean, your use of social media is only going to be as good as your own like relationship to social media. (laughs) So if you just consider it a chore or a must do, um, uh, then it's probably not worth doing. Um, because if you don't have a lot of followers, then you're not going, you know, or you don't have a followers who have a lot of followers like app camp does, um, then you're, it's not going to bring the, the benefits that, you know, we have and that smile has, you know, and you cultivate those followers over a long time. Um, I like to check in every once in a while just on the Smile accounts to see how many people are following Text Expander or something. And remember how I used to be sad, like, you know, 1Password had so many more followers than us, and they probably still do. But they, you know, like Text Expander has tons now. You know, they have a really big, you know, substantial social media following over at Smile. And that took years to put together. And so... Yeah. So it's not a quick fix for anything. Well, what suggestions do you have for people who have businesses on social media? Because, you know, one password, obviously they do support for through social media. But I'll tell you, I don't know who, I have an idea, but I don't know who exactly monitors the social media account over at one password, but they are hysterical. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I fall. And I know that's a fine line to cro- to to watch because yes. you you can offend a lot of people on social media. But I yes. watch I watch that one password account on on Twitter, and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Well, I do think it's important to have some kind of personality, whether um, you know it's hu- you know humorous. I, I mean, I think a little humor is good for everybody, but. Um, you know, you don't want to be too dry. It's called social media, media, right? It's right. Um, and don't treat it as your announcements channel, you know, only because nobody will follow that. Um, well, and one of, I mean, even some friends of mine who are now muted, uh, you know, they have, uh, I I realize this is hard to do, (laughs) but yeah. Is it possible that you could not, you could tweet about something other than yourself? I mean, it's all about me, 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 me. And I get that that's the social media. That's what people do on social media. But, oh, you just, it's, don't don't be so self-centered and on social media. No, I I, I have no opinions about this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. I mean, well, the beauty of it is it's everybody has a different, you know, take on it and everybody can follow whomever they want. And if somebody does stuff that you don't like, you know, or you find tedious, you can mute them or unfollow them. And um, nobody's, no two people have the exact same experience of Twitter or Facebook. You know, right. it's really, de- it completely depends on who your friends or who you follow are. So, I mean, I think that, um, that yes, you you should have some kind of personality. You should, uh, be trying to put stuff out there that's interesting. That's not necessarily about you, but don't do a ton of that either, because that's not why people are following you. They really are interested in you, you know? So, so don't be afraid to promote yourself. I mean, if I think it's great to, um, you know, to get to start a, um, a 
a Twitter account for your business. I think it's a good idea to have that separate from you unless your whole business is just you. Um, And uh, that way you can refer to that account in your own tweets, which I think helps amplify it. So that's pretty much how I got started, I think, with the Text Expander account is that I wanted to be able to put in, you know, at sign text expander into my tweets when I was tweeting about text expander and that that would give people something to click on in Twitter. You know, it wasn't a link. It's just like, um, you know, but it gives you a little bit more information and then there's a link, um, you know, and, and don't try to do too much on social media. You know, you, uh, I think the idea is to get people to your website. That's where you do, um, you know, or get them to your Indiegogo or, or to your Facebook page or whatever. Um, uh, don't, don't try to sell stuff necessarily in a tweet or in a a single Facebook post because, um, there's like a sales funnel. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a cliche of, of sales and marketing, but people don't go from like, Hmm, I wonder what this is to, Oh, here's my credit card. You know, sometimes they do, but <laughs> mostly they need to hear about it and learn more and hear about it again and all that. So, what, as as someone who's done this for a small business and and nonprofit successfully, what are some of the bigger mistakes people make, in your opinion? Um. Well, I think um, I think it's a mistake not to engage with people on Twitter or Facebook. So if you do get replies. Um, you should answer them and answer them relatively quickly. I mean, things feel weird on Twitter. If you post something and then like a day or two later, somebody says, oh yeah, that's right. You're like, what? You know, that might as well have been months ago. So keeping on top of it, you know, like don't, you can't set it and forget it. And don't ever, ever, ever do a automated tweet setup where say, Every time somebody mentions widgets, you know, you're a widget maker and you, you can do this. You know, obviously it's the, it's the internet and their search capabilities. But um, you get, I get, you know, I think everybody's gotten these, you know, for various things where you've mentioned a word and suddenly you get these tweets from total strangers that basically bombing your timeline going like, hey, you should buy this. You know, that's never going to work. That is never, ever going to work. And it's only going to make people dislike you. And I don't, and, you know. And they also follow you. That's the other thing. They'll, they'll follow. Suddenly I'm getting followed. If I mentioned lawnmowers, yeah, then I'm, yeah. I'm followed by seven different lawnmower companies. Which that's all right, I think. You know, like the following, it does bring somebody to your attention, but only if you're going to look at your followers. That's a pretty subtle way of trying to get somebody's attention, wouldn't you say? Like. You look at it, I know when you, you look at it and you go like, oh, I can't believe these lawnmower guys are following me. But it could be you're somebody who is really interested in lawnmowers, you know, in general. And you see a company you hadn't heard of before and that like piques your interest. I don't know. Everybody's different. It doesn't bother me if people follow me. Okay. Because, you know, if I look at my followers, that's my choice. Like, I don't need to look at my followers. I'm obviously like interested, but. But when people at reply me out of the blue, that always, always annoys me. And I, I started just reporting that as spam. You know, I don't, I don't care what it's for. <laughs> I've gotten meaner over the years. I was too nice in the beginning. 
I report spam, like an email spam as well. Yes, don't email spam people. I think, you know, don't add people to your list without um, their permission. And that means like if you if you email with somebody, don't add them to your list just because you've, you know, corresponded with somebody. Um, if it's your customers, you should have something on their on your checkout form that says, you know, you know, email me special offers or whatever, and that they can uncheck. I mean, I think it's, it's cleaner and more, you know, it, there's more integrity to not checking the thing by default, but it's still on, you know, it's, it's one click to uncheck it. Um, so I'm not going to stand on my high horse and say, don't ever have this automatically checked thing because I know that I have done that myself. Um, but if if you just add people to stuff without telling them, that's just wrong. And you ruin the whole email marketing business for everybody. Um, but email marketing is surprisingly still quite, you know, vibrant. You know, you'd think that by now the spammers would have killed us and people just don't care anymore. But email marketing is still important. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're not into social media and you, but uh, I would say like, well, start at least like some email that you can send to your customers or your clients on a regular basis. Cause even if it's only a few hundred people or 50 people, depending on what it is, that's communication. And yeah, I, I started a mailing list for the Max Berkey field guide several years ago and it's mm-hmm. really grown steadily. And I send out like maybe three emails a year. It's just like when I have something new Yeah, and, um, but it does get a response. I mean, I can tell yeah. that people are reading them. So, but I think, I think you should send them out more often. I'm going to be, <laughs> yeah, you know, be your I, armchair advisor here and say like once a month, people wouldn't mind hearing from you. And there's probably something you can, you could say once a month and, that saves you from that problem of people going like, oh, right, I've totally, you know, what's or what's this, you know, spam, you know, and they forget, people forget. I've actually heard from a lot of listeners and readers who say, I'd like a newsletter from you. You know, you should do a newsletter. I don't want to read your website, but if you send me a newsletter every once in a while, I'm trying to wrap my head around how much time is involved and what's, you know, but but it is, I think it is hard for small businesses to know where those lines are drawn. And, and every industry is a little different. I mean, our show is definitely tech focused, but mm-hmm. I know we have a lot of people listening to our show that don't have tech businesses, but are techie people. And they're wondering, you know, how far do I go with Twitter? Like, like lawyers, mm-hmm. I, I never tweet anything related to law, just zero. And, yeah, that but, makes sense to but, me. You I, know, mean, I have a publishing it, business too, where I tweet all the time. So yeah. But and I think lawyers are an extreme case. I think if you had a business that you were selling things to the public, you should definitely be engaged with this stuff. And I just always felt like you just did such a good job of walking the line of, of you were out there, you know, helping get the word out about your product, but you were doing it in a way that didn't make the people out there feel like they were being trod upon. And I, I think that's, I don't know <laughs> how you teach that. Um. Well, I mean, I think you can, you know, there's good books out there. Um. You know, uh, Chris Brogan, he's one of my idols. He wrote that uh, the book called Trust Agents, and uh, and he has another book title I can't remember, but he's pretty good at writing about like how to put yourself in the right mindset to do you know what you're doing. I think he's he's one of the original like social media gurus, and he, even though he 
has been around for a long time and he has millions of followers and you know he i think his his advice is very um uh solid like common sense it's not it's not gimmicky at all and he um he help, has helped me to you know get that what i think helps me is i am just try to imagine if i was getting this thing you know how would i feel like i I always err on the side of like, well, I don't, I'd rather not annoy people. <laughs> I don't care if 20% of the people will buy something. If I annoy 80% of the people, that's going to, that's not going to feel good. So. Well, Jean, I know. You know yeah. I know we're, so, sorry. I know we're, we're about a, out of time here because we've been going for a mm-hmm. while, but I, I want to, one of the things we talked about before we, we started the show is, is you mentioned that we, we've talked about some of the lessons learned in, in social media, but you mentioned that throughout this app camp process, you've learned a lot of lessons about business, about marketing, about social media, about just starting a nonprofit and, and running these things. And I was wondering, maybe that's a good place where you could leave us, you know, and give advice to people of, you know, what are some of the big takeaways from this of the lessons that you've learned over the last the couple of years um yeah i i mean that obviously i could go on for an hour or two about that but well, maybe in, we'll in, have you back <laughs> to talk about lessons learned again uh in short um uh and i you know uh, i'm going to go to the mac stock conference by the way in chicago and i don't know if you guys know about that but that's going to be kind of a mini mac world reunion in chicago in june 19th and 20th and I am one of the speakers and I will talk about this specifically, but I, my things that I I learned that surprised me were how important it is to get very clear about what you're trying to do, because if you don't, you'll just get pulled in so many different directions. Um, Ever since uh, app camp, um, once uh, ever since I first started about the idea, um, people, you know, I got tons of suggestions and, you know, and there were good suggestions. Some of them are great suggestions, but you can't do everything. And if you don't have it, you know, like I'd feel bad. I'd try to figure out how do we work this thing in or this person in like how to, you know, eventually you don't have a camp anymore, you know? And so I, I realized what is important about app camp is that the girls finish making an app in one week and there's not really a bunch of time to do anything else. So even though it would be a good idea maybe to give them some exposure to uh, nutrition, you know, and uh, ergonomics and things like that. It takes away from the mission, which is to get give them that self-confidence that they will get from building an app. And so it makes it easier for me to say no to stuff, which I was, I'm not, I was not a good person at saying no. So keep, keep your focus, know what you're, you're trying to do, know what your business is, is and what it is not. And that will help you answer email a lot faster. (laughs) Good advice. That's a good one. Keep your focus. All right, Jean. Well, tell people um, where they can find you, where they can find App Camp, and how long is this Indiegogo campaign going on? How how long do we have to get our 100 listeners? Um, You have almost a month. It ends on July 1st. Um, So just about four weeks from now, uh, which is when we're recording, obviously. Um, we, um, if you go appcampforgirls.com, that's 
uh, four is the number four, not F-O-R. And uh, there's a link right there to the Indiegogo campaign. I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and um, we are on Twitter at App Camp for Girls with the number four. And Facebook, App Camp for Girls, F-O-R. Sorry, I don't know how that happened and (laughs) i think and you can't change your your facebook thing uh, 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 after the fact so um we are on facebook we have quite a you know bunch of uh good stuff going over on over there um and yes and i'm at mac genie which is m-a-c-g-e-n-i-e um and i do follow twitter pretty closely and i do respond to people so you know that's as good a place to to you know shout out a question if you have one as as probably even better than email honestly right now (laughs) so uh anyway thanks thanks so much for having me it's so great to talk to you guys yeah well i I, I live vicariously through you gene i do (laughs) i mean i'm just so proud of what you've done and so impressed i don't know i think we all are so thank you and uh, good luck (laughs) thanks yeah, and we will we will be keeping tabs on on what you're doing. I'm very excited about that, and we'll be keeping our listeners updated on how we do with getting to our hundred listeners and and the special surprise that you have in store. Uh, you can find links to everything that we talked about on this episode at relay.fm/mpu/slash two sixty. This is episode number two hundred and sixty. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter. The show is Mac Power Users. I'm Katie Floyd, and David is at Max Sparty. We've got a live show coming up, so if you've got some questions for us, uh, tweet tweet it out with hashtag AskMPU, and it'll find its way to us. And also send in your audio comments. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.